0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come now to this time of opening up Your Word, Lord, I pray as we read Your Word and as we study Your Word today, Lord, that Your Word would read us and study us. Reveal in us, O Lord, today our sins and our shortcomings let us hear your word. Let your word come into our hearts and transform us so that we leave this place, Lord, not as we came, but in a renewed relationship with you, in a determination to carry out your word and live in such a way that may glorify your name, Lord. this I pray in Christ's name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 8 and 9 this morning. As we continue our study in Philippians, discovering joy, discovering joy, trying to discover how to have that lasting and eternal joy that Paul talks about here. If you find that place, would you, if you would, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we continue this study in Paul's epistle to the Philippians, we are seeking joy, eternal, lasting joy, real joy. Joy that's not just here for a moment and then disappears, but joy that lasts a lifetime and on into eternity. How do we discover real, lasting joy in this life? Well, according to the American philosophy, uh, we know that uh, the pursuit of joy and the pursuit of happiness is a pursuit of all that is pleasurable. It's a hedonistic type of pursuit, looking for what is pleasing and most pleasurable even for the moment. In other words, if it feels good, then do it. That's what the world tells us to do. But is that the key to true, lasting joy? Well, think about the drug addict who pursues that pleasure that comes for a moment. But does drugs and alcohol, does that really promise lasting joy? No, it may, it may promise a little pleasure for a little small moment in time. But drugs leads to addiction. Slavery to the drug. Drugs uh, destroy families. It destroys the individual. Think about this. Uh, I've heard this said before by those who have been addicted to drugs. One once said that well, I just never thought it was a big deal. I was only hurting myself until that person realized they weren't just hurting themselves. They were hurting their families. They were hurting their loved ones. They were destroying that family unit. They were destroying their lives. Not only is it destructive on the individual and the family, but it's also destructive on society as a whole as the one who is addicted to such drugs and alcohol becomes a drain on society instead of a, uh, one who uh, puts into society, a productive member of society. Fornication, particularly pornography. For so many years, people have said, well, that's just a harmless thing. It's just looking at pictures or watching movies. What? harm does that have? Well, here in recent times, the, uh, the psychiatrists have come to realize what the Bible has said all along, that the constant looking at pornography, the constant viewing of pornography destroys the individual as they become addicted to such sites. It destroys the family unit As fathers are are torn away from their wives, husbands torn away from their spouses because they can't get away from viewing such images. And furthermore, it is destructive on society. Psychiatrists have realized that this is an addiction that is destructive. It tears down the fibers of society as it objectifies women. It causes men to be so addicted. No, the pursuit of the momentary pleasures of this world is not what brings lasting joy. But what brings lasting joy... What do we, what must we pursue, what must we seek if we want to understand and, and realize lasting, true, lasting joy? Well, as Paul tells us today, it's spiritual discipline. The spiritual disciplines of life. The spiritually disciplined life is a life of joy, as it is a life lived in the presence of the God of peace. Let me say that again. The spiritually disciplined life is a life of joy as it is a life lived in the presence of the God of peace. Now let's see where we see this in this passage in particular. First of all, that we, the first thing that we notice here, here is Paul is telling us how we discover joy. He's continuing that thought. He tells us here to meditate on godly virtue. You want to know real joy? You want to discover real joy? Paul says, meditate on godly virtue. You remember that he says up there in verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And he's continuing that thought. He says, finally, or or you might could say there, to that point. That's what he's really getting at here. We've we've seen him say finally before, and that doesn't mean he's about to end his message. (laughs) But he says, to that point, to that point of, of seeking godly joy, then meditate on godly virtue. Brothers, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's anything, uh, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think. Think about these things. Not just pass over them in a moment, but think about them. Meditate on them. Dwell upon them for a moment in time. He says, meditate on godly virtue. Let's just think about those words that he uses there. Whatever is true. Well, what is true? God's word, Jesus said, is truth. When he prays for us, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You see, God's word defines all truth. God's word defines all truth. Whatever is true, whatever is real, God's Word defines it. Not our whims, not our moments, not our feelings, but God's Word defines what is true. God's Word is truth. Whatever is honorable or respectable. Whatever whatever is just, that is, whatever is right or righteous. Again, God's Word defines what is right and righteous. It defines what is just. Whatever is pure, that is, without moral defect or blemish. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pleasing, whatever is beautiful whatever is commendable deserving of approval and respect whatever is excellent or you could say moral excellence he's looking at that moral type of excellency there whatever is worthy of praise but what defines all of these we could say is god's holy word god's word God's Word defines what is true. God's Word defines what is right. God's Word defines what is respectable, honorable, what is worthy of praise. It's God's Word. He is the Creator of all things, and He can define all of reality. So if we want to understand what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is commendable, what is excellent, what is worthy of praise, then we must meditate on God's Word. We must meditate on God's Word. Jesus says, Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. We are to meditate on God's Word. We're to, to have it in our minds constantly. Not just taking it in on Sunday morning, but, but taking it in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're to meditate on God's Word. If we want to know what is true and right and, and just, what is lovely and worthy of praise, then we've got to dig into God's Word and look there and meditate on it day and night. We've got to meditate on God's written Word. But not only that, we also need to meditate on God's Word incarnate. What else is beautiful, commendable, worthy of praise? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How often do you sit down and meditate on Jesus Christ? How often do you sit down in prayer to Jesus, talking to Jesus, thinking about what Jesus has come to do for you, what He came to do for you? How often have you meditated on the fact that Jesus Christ came and took your place on that cross? How often have you meditated on on the great love that He must have for you to take your place in such a place as that? How often do you meditate on Christ? If we want to understand true, lasting joy, we must meditate on godly virtue by meditating on God's Word. In the deacons' meetings, we've uh, past few months they've been giving uh, testimonies. Different deacon each month giving testimonies. And this past week, uh, Brother Charles McGee gave his testimony. And I remember in his testimony, this stuck out to me, he said that the one thing, uh, this side of coming to Christ, the one thing that really transformed his life was the discipline of meditating on God's Word. When he began to work on that discipline and began that time of meditating on God's Word, reading it, and not just reading it, but meditating on it, thinking on it, It proved transformational to his life. Are you meditating on God's Word day and night? We must meditate on godly virtue by meditating on God's Word, but then also, uh, in contrast to that, we must also avoid vice. We must avoid vice. That is, that we must be careful of what input we allow to come into our lives, into our minds. You know, with a a computer, a computer only gives what's put put into the computer, doesn't it? If good things are put into the computer, then good things come out of the computer. But if garbage goes into the computer, guess what comes out of the computer? Garbage comes out of the computer. And the same thing goes with our minds. If we constantly put garbage into our minds, if we are constantly taking in garbage, watching the mess that is on TV, listening to all the songs about sexual immorality and adultery and and all of these things, if that's what we're constantly feeding on, guess what's going to come out of our lives? What's down in the well comes up in buckets. Amen? And if we constantly put in the well trash and garbage, guess what's coming out of the well? We've got to avoid vice. We've got to avoid constantly being being put in that place where we're taking in garbage and trash into our lives. Now, in this world, there's going to be a certain percentage of garbage that's just naturally going to come in there because it's all around us. I mean, you can't even drive down the street without seeing some filthy billboard on the side of the highway. You can't watch TV without seeing some nasty commercial Some filthy commercial to tempt us. But if that's the constant diet that we're getting, what's going to come out of our lives? No, we need to be putting in more of God and less of the world. We must meditate on godly virtue, meditating on His Word, avoiding vice. Let God's Word and godly virtue be the meditations of your heart and your mind. So Paul here calls us to discover joy by meditating on godly virtue. But dear friend, if that's as far as we go, then that's not quite far enough, not anywhere near actually far enough. No, not only must we meditate on godly virtue, but Paul goes on to tell us that we must put godly virtue into practice. We must put godly virtue into practice. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, he says. Practice these things. Put them into practice. That is, we must apply God's Word. We must apply God's Word. We've got to put it into practice. What good is it if we read God's Word What good is it if we study God's Word just like some other book but never put it into practice into our daily lives? What James tells us over in James' letter, James chapter 1, verses 19, uh, starting in 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Avoid vice. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But, he goes on to say, be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceives, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, when we get into God's Word, when we begin to study it and meditate on it, what good is it if we just end there? And not let it read us. You see, as we read God's Word, we got to allow God's Word to read us. To, to peek into our lives and to uncover hidden sin and falsehoods and shortcomings. And as it reveals those things in us, then we got to take steps of putting things into action, putting God's Word into action to uproot sin and shortcomings and falsehoods and remove them from our lives so that we can live a godly life in Christ Jesus. We've got to put God's Word into action. We've got to put God's Word into practice by applying God's Word to our lives. As we think about the, uh, the football season, it's coming up and everybody's getting geared up for it. I think ULM had their first scrimmage game last night, so let's just take, think about football for a moment. You go out and the players go out and, and they've studied their playbook, right? They, they've been in the playbook, they've studied the playbook, they've been in practice and, and, and put all of these things into place. But then they go out on the field and they play the game. And we all know that the, the games are recorded, right? The coach is up there, the one coach is up there, he's filming the whole thing. And they're recording the whole thing so that on, come Saturday morning, everybody can gather into the field house and watch the game film. And what's the purpose of the game film? The game film is there to reveal shortcomings, to reveal errors that the players make. And so they come in on Saturday morning, and if all they do is just watch the game like anybody else on a a Friday night, then what good is it? They're just wasting a couple of hours in their Saturday. But what do they do? They come in and they study it. They study it. They, they got their playbook. They know how the plays are supposed to be ran, and they, they study it, and, and they see, here, I messed up here. Instead of going this way, I should have went that way, and they study it. And still, if that's all they do, what good is that? But they recognize the errors. They recognize the shortcomings. And then they take to the practice field and they put into practice the playbook correcting their errors, right? right. And you see, that's what we got to do with God's Word. We, his playbook is right before us. This is how we ought to live. We study that. And then we let that Word read us and study us and study our lives and reveal our errors, reveal our sins, our shortcomings. And then we go back out and we hit the field again. And we put God's Word into practice. We apply it to our lives so that we can remove our sins and our shortcomings. Not only must we meditate on godly virtue, but we must put godly virtue into practice by applying God's Word to our lives. But not only must we apply god's word but we also must model godly virtue we also must model godly virtue he says what you have seen in me right learned received heard and seen in me now we know as we've been going through philippians this has been an important subject for paul about finding role models people to look up to and to model in your own lives he has already said if you back up there a bit uh... Yes, verse 17 of chapter 3. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We're to look for godly role models and we're to follow their example. We're to model godly virtue. We're to model godly virtue. That's why it's so important for us to surround ourselves with, with godly influences. With the people of God. That's why it's so important that if, if you're here and you're not invo- involved in a life group, you should get involved in a life group. If all you're doing is coming here and sitting and soaking on Sunday morning, you're not getting the full benefit of the people of God. You need to join a life group, get involved in a life group, surround yourself with godly people who can lift you up and, and encourage you in your Christian walk. We're called to encourage one another, to live with one another, to lift one another up and stir one another up in godliness and good works, right? We're to live in community together. Not only coming into worship service, but living life together. If you're not involved in a life group, get involved in a life group. We've got plenty of places to plug in get involved in a life group and, and see what how God can change you and transform you by putting you in the presence of other godly people striving for godliness so do not stop short of putting God's godly virtue into practice don't just stop with the meditating on God's word but put God's word into practice living it out And Paul goes on to tell us that if we meditate on godly virtue and we put godly virtue then into practice, then what happens? Then we will walk with the God of peace. We will walk with the God of peace. We will reap the rewards and the benefits, the blessings from our pursuit of godliness. Notice what he says there. He says, think on these things, practice these things, and then he closes, and the God of peace, what? will be with you the God of peace will be with you he will be there with you he will be walking with you remember the context Paul is in persecution under persecution there in a Roman prison the Philippian church to whom he is writing they're under persecution Not the greatest of times, yet Paul says no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, if you meditate on godly virtues, if you meditate on God's Word, if you put God's Word and godly virtues into practice, then this promise is to you, the God of peace, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, He will be with you. You see how we... Act. Our moral life affects our relationship with God. It absolutely re- it affects our relationship with God. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, sin in your life affects your relationship with God. That's because God God must punish vice. God must punish sin. Now for the unbeliever, the way that works out is in the final judgment. A judgment day is coming where God will pour out, begin, only begin to pour out His eternal wrath against all sin. When that day comes, dear friend, you may pursue the pleasures of this life, but all pleasures will be over. when you will be removed from the presence of the God of all goodness. But God has provided a way to overcome eternal punishment through His Son, Jesus Christ. See, that's how much He loves us. We deserve eternal judgment, but God sent His Son to die on the cross for us so that we might have eternal forgiveness. And so friend here, if you're here today and you don't know the forgiveness of God, you've never turned your life over to Jesus, then receive Him today. Turn to Him today. Don't wait until the day of judgment comes because that day is too late. God, who is a righteous, just God, must punish sin. So, in the end, all sinners, all those who remain in a rebellious state against God will be punished for all of eternity. But it's also... God still must punish sin even in believers, even in His children. This is not judgment as in the final judgment, but this is in the form of discipline. God must discipline His children. Hebrews 12, uh, 6, For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Every father in the house understands this. That when a child disobeys, it affects the relationship, doesn't it? Because the father has to turn away from being the loving, caring father to being the disciplinarian. Oh, he's still loving and caring, but now he's the disciplinarian and he's got to take action and discipline. You see, the the relationship is affected by the sin of the child. And the same is true with our Father. When we allow sin to pervade our lives, then God has to to come to us in a relationship of the the disciplinarian and, and punish us to bring us back to that close walk with Him. It's for our good, but still, it's punishment all the same. God must punish sin. He must punish vice so Let's walk in godly virtue so that we might then receive the reward. Because not only does God punish vice, but God rewards virtue. God rewards virtue when we walk according to God's Word, when we seek Him day and night. Oh yes, we're still going to fall and have our, our failings in life, but, but God, He understands that and He loves us. And when we fall and when we fail, He he picks us up and and puts us back on track. But when our pursuit is for God and for His his godliness, for His virtue, then He promises us blessing. And that's the blessing that Paul gets here. What's the, the blessing? What's the reward of virtue? It is the presence of God. When we seek God, when we follow His Word, He's there with us. Walking beside us. In that loving, peaceful relationship. Now understand, God doesn't always, or God doesn't promise deliverance from all of our worldly troubles. Does He? Now we know that's, that's not true we we know that he does not promise us deliverance not here and now in this life from all of life's worries and troubles but what does he promise he promises us his presence behold i'm with you even to the end of the age If we walk with God, we seek God, we pursue, we meditate on godly virtue and we pursue godly virtue, then God says, I will be there with you, walking with you, bringing peace that surpasses all understanding to your heart all along the way. Dear friend, if you want to walk with the God of peace, first of all, you need to Walk with Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. That's the first step to obedience to God, is to turn to the the forgiveness that God offers in His Son, Jesus Christ. If you're not walking with Jesus, you'll never understand the peace of God. You'll never receive the peace of God. Trust in Jesus. Walk with Jesus. And as you begin to walk with Jesus, then you must meditate on godly virtue by allowing God's Word to come into your mind, meditating on His Word day and night. And then as you meditate on His Word day and night, then you must let that Word take effect in your life, putting godly virtue into practice. Dear friend, walk with the God of peace Living the spiritually disciplined life. Walk with the God of peace living that spiritually disciplined life or the licentious life. The life of sin. The pursuit of of the worldly pleasures. Contrary to what the world tells us leads to slavery, sin, and ultimate destruction. But the spiritually disciplined life as a life of joy and as a life lived in the presence of the God of peace. Are you pursuing God today? Are you pursuing Jesus Christ today? Are you seeking Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Allowing Him to transform your life If you walk with Him, He promises to be there with you every step of the way. No matter what trial you face. No matter what persecution may come. He will be there with you. Are you seeking Him today? Through a spiritually disciplined life? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we know today the difficulty that comes in this life. All the pressures that are upon us day in and day out. We understand, Lord, all the the pressures from the media that constantly bombard us day in and day out. Telling us to to pursue fleshly desires and that's what's going to bring us joy and happiness. But Lord, that's absolutely contradictory to Your Word. And Your Word is truth. Your Word defines what is true. And Your Word says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. (laughs) And all of God's blessings will be added unto you. Oh, Father, if there are I know there's those here today, Lord, they're not pursuing Christ. Lord, I pray that You would change their hearts today. Turn them to Christ. There are Christians here today, Lord, who they may have a a habit of reading God's Word, but they're not applying God's Word to their lives. Change them today. By the power of Your might, Lord, change all of our hearts today that we might pursue You all the more knowing Your presence. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.